So we're going to stand, if we can, and sing Silent Night, and then I'm going to invite um, Anthea to come up and light the Advent candle. So we stand and sing. Would you like to take a seat? So today being the uh, fourth Sunday in Advent, the theme today is love, God's love. Okay, you can like them all. So I think the first Sunday we were focusing on hope, and it was peace, and then last week during the carol service it was joy and today is love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life let's pray Jesus whose love for the world was so great you were prepared to die for it we thank you for your sacrificial mission, which we remember started at Christmas. We light this candle as an assurance of your love. We offer up our prayers for your love to be shown abundantly to each and every heart. 
Amen. And we will be saying some prayers. We'll have prayers of intercession a little bit later in this service. So, would you like to stand again? And we're going to sing Light of the World.
Good morning. Well, I'm so pleased that uh, Lynn has asked me to read the Christmas poem by John Betjeman. Uh, he was a great lover of the ways of an England that is now lost and almost forgotten. And of course, Betjeman went on to become one of the most popular poets laureate of the uh, 20th century. This poem was written in 1954 and may already be familiar to you with its references to things that we hadn't now seen for years and years. Those cast iron tortoise stoves uh, and a time when uh, many churches were still lit by oil lamps, uh, when London's church spires uh, still towered over many buildings and before uh, high-rise uh, uh, blocks. And rather shockingly, of course, some young women had started wearing trousers called slacks. Uh, but above all, this poem is still a powerful reminder about what should be at the heart of our Christmas celebrations. Christmas by John Betjeman. The bells of waiting advent ring, the tortoise stove is lit again, and lamp oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain in many a stained glass window's sheen from crimson lake to hooker's green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house, the yew, will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar, font and arch and pew, so that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, corporation tramcars clang, on lighted tenements I gaze where paper decorations hang. And bunting in the red town hall says, Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers and marbled clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember dad, and oafish louts remember mum, and sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say come, even to the shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. <laughs> and is it true, and is it true, this most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea, become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent and hideous ties so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine.
Thank you. So today's reading, just is uh, Psalm 89, verses 1 to 8. And uh, when I finish reading this, I'm going to invite Simon to come up and uh, bring his Christmas Eve, or God's Christmas Eve message to us. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made my covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. So I'd like to pray for Simon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'd to come up. So Father God, we thank you for Simon. Thank you for your word that you are going to, or your message that you are going to share with us this morning. And uh, so we just pray, Lord, for um, our spiritual ears to be open for your Holy Spirit to just fill us so that we hear your message. Amen. Amen. Do you want me to leave that there? Or no, take it? Yeah. Take it or move it over there. Yeah. That'd be great. I'm going to apologise in advance because um, I've got uh, one of these throats that if, so if I start coughing and I have to go for the water, you know what's happening. <clears throat> okay, lovely. I'll just put the first. Ah, that's great. Thank you, David. Now, this year, I've deliberately avoided uh, the more typical nativity passages, which we do love turning out year after year around Christmas, don't we? But I, I felt, I suppose, there's always a danger that we can just be over-familiarised and numb to them. And I just felt that it was a good opportunity to really look at some other passages and you see how connected the Bible is, actually, and try and draw that out as well. So this morning, I've chosen that... Uh, It'd be helpful to share in this anticipation of Advent as we wait for the Christ child, looking at some Old Testament scripture. And for this purpose, I've chosen Psalm 89. You just heard the first eight verses of that. And it's a song of worship written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that, to me, points to the birth of the Messiah, to God's saviour and redeemer. Just those first two verses. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever, the psalmist says. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known to all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, 
but you have established faithfulness in heaven itself. Now, having covered hope, peace, and joy on previous Sundays, we come today to this last Advent message around the theme, as Lynn said, of love. And in our Bibles, we're quite familiar, aren't we, with the New Testament writers and the the word agape that they often use to describe God's love. That's quite common, I think, to you. But but I think I want to draw our attention today more to an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word, and the word hesed. And you'll find this also often used in the Old Testament quite a lot uh, to describe God's covenant love. So it's pronounced kesed with a K, kesed. Um, and it, like so many of these words, it encompasses a very rich, multifaceted range of meaning, which makes it very hard to challenge to translate simply into one or two English words. But in summary, it would be something like this. First of all, it's an act of undeserved kindness and generosity. Undeserved kindness and generosity that goes far beyond mere duty or obligation. Unlike a romantic infatuation, Hesed represents a faithful, dependable love. It's the kind of love that endures throughout all trials and remains faithful, steadfast. You'll often see it translated in that way in the Old Testament, the enduring love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord. And this is drawing from this word. But also Hesed is not just a a feeling, it's about action. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones coming to their rescue when needed. Chesed is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, loyal. Chesed, in that word, it embodies the unfailing love that God has for his people. And it includes the attributes like covenant, mercy, grace and kindness into one divine act, hesed. So this word, although you may not see it, because it's often translated with different prefaces, is that I found it over 250 times in the Old Testament. Now, I didn't count them all, okay, that's courtesy of the computer, obviously, all right? But it's obviously not a, a, a rare term. It's a very fundamental way the Old Testament uses of describing God's character. So again, as Christians, we very quickly go to the agape, but I think it's important to recognise this foundation of this hesed love of God that the Old Testament is built upon. Now, for the Old Testament Jew who's waited for the Messiah, at Christmas we... We celebrate an event which really was almost beyond their imagination and comprehension. That this wonderful love that God expresses through the Old Testament would actually take on flesh and step down in the form of Jesus Christ, dwelling amongst humankind. These are the words where one Jew tries to describe how this love steps down into the world. And the verses from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everybody was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor husband's will, but born of God. The flesh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think John almost in that, those opening verses of his gospel is trying to ca capture this, this, this mystery, this reality of this wonderful love of God being made flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. And that's why I see these verses, this psalm written five, six, seven hundred years before the birth of Christ as prophetic. The psalmist says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my, my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to, my, to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. What we often refer to as the Davidic covenant, a covenant of love that God has made with the line of David many hundreds of years before Jesus was born. A covenant love that God remains faithful to and which was revealed in a whole new way in the birth of Jesus. Regardless of how long the psalmist still had to wait, there is in this psalm a clear sense of Advent expectation. Not just four weeks, but hundreds of years. A foretaste of a joy that the psalmist can already feel in anticipation of what is going to come. The fact that God made this covenant with the line of David was good enough reason for the psalmist to break into song and worship. Like us, he was a person of faith and God's word was good enough for him. He feels in a way blown away as he reflects on the wonder of God's covenant love. The faithful, the enduring, the steadfast, chesed love of God the Father. Do you remember that refrain in Psalm 136? Anybody want to remind us what it is? In fact, if enduring love of the Lord lasts forever, or there's translations of that. But it's like, a, it's like a drumbeat, isn't it? It's that psalm where every other line virtually is a bump, 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 just driving this point home. Now, although we recognise the sense of joy we have as we rejoice in the love of God, we also need to recognise at times we all emotionally wax and wane. It's very easy to talk about God's love and then try and, as it were, embody it in our own lives. 
just as we can sort of wax and wane in our feelings, God's love is not like that. It's quite the opposite. It is steadfast, enduring, and faithful. And something that as we become more conscious of, we are naturally drawn into worship of God. God's ways are not often our ways, just as God's love is a covenant love, not dependent on us, not dependent on our merit or our feelings, but simply on God himself. C.S. Lewis wrote these words. Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. And Charles Spurgeon had a similar sort of quotation. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. And this is the God we worship. This is the character of the one we approach. This Hesed love of God is something that we can rightly celebrate and rejoice in, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the entire year, for it has been established forever. Jeremiah 31, the Lord has appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. The love of God is like a rock, a place in which we can stand, a place where we can trust, even amidst, amidst the difficulties and trials and troubles of the world. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This covenant love of God is an everlasting love. It's a firm place we can stand. It's solid ground where we can, without fear, live and breathe and have our being. No wonder the psalmist bursts out at the start of that Psalm 89 with those words, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And in a way, we could end the morning's message here. That would surely be enough for us to go away and reflect on as we go back to our homes. But we can't leave it there, because God did not leave it there. We can't just talk about the wonderful Hesed love of God, the Father, without also proclaiming the agape love of God, the Son. And just to introduce that theme, we're now going to have a, a video clip and a song.
We've got this picture in the Bible, haven't we, in the Old Testament, this amazing love of God, this, this chesed love of God, this enduring, this faithfulness, not just a, a passing thing, it's, 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 it's like a rock, we stand on it, we trust in it. And I've said in a way, you could read the Bible and say, well, that's enough, that's already too wonderful, really. But God didn't think so, the love of God didn't think so, and love was born in the person of Christ that first Christmas day. 
So that love of the Father we see in the Old Testament is now revealed in a new, in a whole new way. I would say that covenant love of God, which is already almost too wonderful to even comprehend, finds its most profound expression in the Son, in Jesus taking on human flesh and laying down his divinity, stepping into this world as our Lord and Saviour. God's love is a love so far beyond measure that it extended even to Jesus, the beloved Son, dying on the cross for our sakes. Jesus, who embodied the Hesed love of God, the covenant love of God in the flesh, was willing to go to even to a terrible death for you and for me. This is how far God's love would go. It's finally here that we see that God's enduring, steadfast love taking on its final form. Now, the Old Testament covenant was founded on the Israelites' obedience to the law. The new is founded on Jesus Christ, not on our meticulous obedience, but instead on our simple act of faith, our willingness to trust in Jesus, trusting who he was and is, and what he told us to do, his word. Jesus comes for us, our Redeemer. He comes for us, our righteousness before God. Right back in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah's 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. A prophecy that Paul saw fulfilled in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Christ Jesus has become for us the wisdom from God. That is, he has become our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. So realising the wonder of this truth as Christians, simply people who have received Jesus as Lord and Saviour in repentance and faith, we too surely should be able to sing like that psalmist, but even louder those wonderful words opening that Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. And when we talk about love at Christmas time, this is the love we talk about, the love we rejoice in. This same wonderful love of God that the, of the, from the Old Testament is now expressed in the new in Jesus. We see with wonder and with awe that this love is not really heart-shaped at all, but cross-shaped for you and for me. God's self-giving love reconciling us to himself in Christ, even meeting us in the death of Jesus. It is in the cross, in that act of submission on Calvary, that the Hesed love of God of the Old Testament remains and is evident, standing firm, enduring and everlasting.
The cross, not the heart, is the ultimate expression of God's hesed love, God's agape love. And that faithfulness has been established, not just on earth, but as the psalmist foresaw all those years before, in heaven itself. It is this unfathomable love that we celebrate at Christmas. Yes, it's lovely to see the nativity scenes, but the love we really celebrate is the love of Christ Jesus, this wonderful love of God expressed in Christ. A love that cannot be taken from us because it has been established in God, not in us, in God. And we read from Romans 8. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to this? What can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble? Shall hardship? Just per persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger or sword? No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I pray this Christmas time we might know this love. This wonderful, enduring love. It hasn't just appeared in the New Testament, but is right back there in the old. But is embodied in Christ in the new. And by his spirit given to us, that we might also embody something of that spirit of love in this world, which can be such a loveless place. So regardless where you are this Christmas, regardless what you face, with difficulties in your own life, regardless how you are walking in faith. Maybe this year has been a difficult year to remain faithful even. But regardless, you need to know that God loves you with an undiminished love. He hasn't turned away and gone, oh, duh, you're just too much hard work. He has loved us because he's, the love he loves us with is established in who God is himself. So may we all this Christmas rejoice in this wonderful, amazing love. May we be confident, fearless, and seek to embody something of it in our own lives as in humility we walk on together into the coming year with our amazing God, our Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. My mouth with my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known for all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, for you have established faithfulness in heaven itself.
Our reading this morning ended with these words, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? Something maybe to reflect on a bit later. Let us pray. Holy God, you are awesome. And yet somehow we seem to so easily lose sight of you. We seem to so easily get tied down with our difficulties and the things we have to do that we lose sight. Lord, help us this Christmas Eve to once more look and realise the awesome nature of what you did in Christ that day. How you broke into this world in a way that has changed this world forever. And Lord, might we as your servants in this place seek to follow you and serve you, singing, glory to you, glory to you, glory to you. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together the song, Father God, I wonder how I managed to exist. If you could stand, if if you're able. Thank you.
Thank you. Would you like to take a seat? So when the, uh, the candles were lit at the beginning of the service, I said that there would be some prayers a little bit later on, and uh, that's where we are at the moment. So we've got prayers for people for Advent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as once again we prepare for Christmas, help us to find time in our busy lives for quiet and thought and prayer that we may reflect upon the wonder of your love and allow the story of the Saviour's birth to penetrate our hearts and minds. So may our joy be deeper, our worship more real, and our lives worthier of all that you've done for us through the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for the church. For the wider Christian family who will be celebrating this festival in so many different ways, and for those who dare not celebrate openly. For Christians in countries where there's per persecution. For Christians in our own country with whom we will share our celebrations. For us, for our church family. Grant that all who come into our church this Christmas time and have come into our church this Christmas time may be enabled to renew their relationship with you or begin a relationship with you, Lord. Help us all to be glad of your presence and to rejoice at the coming of Jesus. May your blessing be upon all who worship with us. Give us grace to live as faithful members of your family that we may learn each day afresh to love and serve you. And we pray for peace. Give peace to the world, Lord. Give peace to the victims of war, the refugees, the widowed and the orphans. Give peace to family and friends, to those who have quarreled and need to be reconciled. Give peace in our own divided hearts. We know that without justice, there can be no peace. Let peace come when all people are respected, regardless of race or religion. Let peace come when trading weapons of mass destruction is a crime. Let peace come when the Earth's resources are used wisely for the common good. Let peace come when money is used to serve and not enslave this world. Let peace come through the transformation of our lives, that we may do justice, love and kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Your Son came as the Prince of Peace and brought a message of peace for all people. Help us to be peacemakers in our own homes, at our work, or wherever we meet people, so that the peace and goodwill of Christmas can find a place in the hearts of people. We pray for homeless people, for refugees who have no country to call their own. Let your blessing be with those who work with the homeless this Christmas and give to all of us the determination to help where we can. We pray for people who are lonely, those who are lonely because they've lost a partner, those who are lonely because no one seems to care, those who are lonely because of illness. Let your presence be with those who are, who are alone at this season of friendship 
and may we take our friendship to those who we know will be alone this Christmas. And finally, we pray for friends and family who are ill at this time and remember them in the quietness of our hearts. We bring them to you in the confidence that you love them and know their every need and that your healing power is still the same today. Bless all that is being done for their recovery and answer our prayers as you see best. Merciful Lord, we lift our prayers to you in the name of all names. Jesus Christ, amen. So we've come to the uh, end of our Christmas Eve service. We're going to sing one final song. <laughs> You're going to sing with us. You're going to sing with us, Freddie? Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to stand and sing? We're going to sing um, Oh Holy Night.
So loving Father, help us to remember the birth of Jesus, that we may share in the song of the angels, the gladness of the shepherds, and the worship of the wise men. Close the door of hate and open the door of love all over the world. Let kindness come with every gift and good desires with every greeting. Deliver us from evil by the blessing which Christ brings and teach us to be merry with clear hearts. May the Christmas morning make us happy and the evening bring us to our beds with grateful thoughts, forgiving and forgiven. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So we've come to the end of our service. Have we got refreshments today? We've got refreshments today. So please go enjoy some fellowship there. Um, if you'd like somebody to play, pray with or for you, or you just want to just have some quiet time, please stay in here. And let's remember that when we are out the back, that we have got people that perhaps aren't so, um, like me, their balance isn't great. <laughs> if we've got hot drinks, let's just be careful um, where we take them. Should we say the grace to one another before we leave? Yeah? So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and more. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody, if I don't see you. <laughs>